Marshall Stay is not only a photographer, actor, director, divisor, producer, and promotional architect. Today, he is also the author of this chapter of The Chronicles. Like many great people, Marshall and I first met at a picnic in the late summer of 2016. Hang on, was that? No, wait. Yeah, the late summer of 2016. Yeah, yeah, so the reason why what I'm thinking, I'm in European mindset mode. Right, so like was it winter? Yeah. Yeah. But it was our it was summer. summer. It's our summer, yeah, yeah in January. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good <laughs> Good uh, Where I was a student graduating, a Marshall was a student just about to begin his study. You can see many examples of Marshall's fine work on Vimeo, his Facebook page, Martial Art, and the Facebook page of Jack of Arts, the fundraising organisation that helps support the BPA course at WAPA. Marshall, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. To get the ball rolling, as I'm <coughs> to say, I don't know, I feel it's been, it's a, it's a really, I have to say, we are in winter. Yeah. It's a cold morning. It's a chilly. It's foggy. Yeah. Or smoky, is it smoky or smoky? Fog? It's smoky, yeah. Very smoky. There's been so many backburns like I guess because it's winter, you know, don't have to worry about the fire risk as much, so everyone's like, burn it all. Just going a bit crazy. <laughs> but I don't know, like, I've done just for a sidetrack, I can't remember there have been, in living in here in WA for, I don't know, 22 years now, mm. I've not experienced as much smoke or burn offs. Really? Just one moment. It's never been like that. I, I, can't, I can't remember when burn it all. <laughs> Burn it all was the motto. Yeah, geez, somebody's been watching too much Game of Thrones, I guess. <laughs> um. But 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 speaking about places and burning, you're oh. you're originally from Queensland. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry, Good no. segue. <laughs> Sorry, I enjoyed that. Um, originally <clears throat> from Queensland. Yes. Marshall, why did you venture forth to the Wild West? Oh, Whopper. Yeah. Hands down. Yeah. Just you know, if Whopper if Whopper calls you, you answer. You say yes. Um, yeah, so it was back at the end of, so yeah, I graduated high school in 2013 mm-hmm. and I remember, I remember in high school I did quite well in drama, um, and like film and stuff like that. And I honestly, I had quite a big head on me, still do in some ways. And I, I genuinely thought I was like, you know, I'll make it without a school. I don't need to go to like a performing arts institution. I can just make it because you hear so many stories these days about people who literally just get out of school or whatever and just pump away at it and they eventually you know get Mm. somewhere and so I thought yeah I'll do that and um I had a pretty good run for the first year I worked for a theatre company the hoodie I'm wearing right now um Shake and Stir which is yeah really great theatre company over in Brisbane they're um they're actually doing a bit of a plug for them right now they're doing Dracula here in uh next month I believe so they're going down to Mandra and then they're going to another performing centre up north I know no I know I know what you're on about no 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 I know I know, I, no, I definitely heard Shake and Stir because I remember two months ago, I was up in Calbarry. Mm. No, they're, they're going to Geldon, I believe. Yeah, that's that's other Jelton. place up north. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're a great company, produce some really good good quality work. So I was lucky enough, I was a student of theirs in high school. Oh. And then when I graduated, um, I asked them if I could work for them and they said yes. So I worked for them for that year. Then I decided after that, I was like, man, this is pretty tough. I kind of want to be in an institution for a little bit. I auditioned for Night on Whopper's acting courses yeah. um, because that's all I knew that existed. I didn't get in that year, unfortunately. Um, spent another year. Again, it wasn't too bad because I just spent another year um, working for Shake and Stir. And I just met a girl who I really liked as well. So it, was, it wasn't the end of the world. It yeah. was fine. Um, she's a performer as well. So I remember we, we both didn't get in. And so we just sat in bed and ate Ben and Jerry's ice cream all night, which was really <laughs> lovely. And anyway, yeah, so spent another year working all that stuff. Decided to audition again. Also auditioned on top of NIDA and Whopper's acting courses, I auditioned for Actors Centre Australia in Sydney. So I went down there. And yeah, and this is the really weird part. It became like a big mess of things. So like NIDA was just a straight up, no, I didn't get further than um, much into that audition, unfortunately. Whopper, I thought was a no. ACA was a yes. So ACA did actually offer me a place down in Sydney because I got onto their their finalists list. And then I think I was like one or two off. So then a few people rejected their initial offer. So then I got offered a place. But by then I had been called by, it wasn't Franny. I think it was um, Tamara actually, who is the acting, for anyone who is not in the know, is one of the acting teachers here for the BPA course at uh, WAPA, saying that Galenda and Andrea Lewis had recommended me to them. 
um, ah. and put my resume forward to them, recommending me to be a part of the performing arts, uh, well, performance yeah. making course. And so at first, like, I never really heard of it before because God knows WAP is terrible at publicizing that it's a thing that exists. <laughs> God damn. Um, <laughs> Uh, and yes, I, I researched it. I happened to know Maddie Lewis, who was oh yes, 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 yeah, yes, yes, she's yes. from Brisbane, and I'd worked with her when she was in Brisbane. So I um, messaged her, and I was like, "What can you tell me?" And she just like butted up and was like, "It's great, you know, like yeah. Fran and Tamara, wonderful people. Like definitely, definitely do it." So I sent in an audition tape because I couldn't actually make it to the in-person auditions. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, when I had given up pretty much all hope on getting in anywhere that year, and I was preparing for another year in Brisbane, I got a call from Tamara saying that they liked my audition and. Um, wanted to offer me a place so that was really good and then the next day I got the call from ACA and I had to tell ACA sorry no thank you but yeah very glad anyway that's the that's the really long story of how I came to Perth but I'm glad I did WAP was WAP was a great time the course is fantastic yeah yeah WAP uh, Perth itself it's interesting mm. it's a really it's an interesting place <laughs> what if you picked that one up yeah it's an interesting place it's like because I haven't been back to Brisbane I haven't left Perth since I came here um, in a year and a half now. So mm. I'm very used to Perth, but I remember when I arrived, it had a very different feel to, to Brisbane. It reminded me, especially my area of town because yeah. it's flat and it's dry. It made me think of, um, it made me think of LA. LA? Yeah. Cause I've been lucky to go to LA once and obviously you oh, see all right. videos as well yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's just flat uh. and it's dry and all the houses are one level. And if you look around this area of town, that's what it is. It's yeah. flat, it's dry, it's sandy and all the mm. houses are usually just one level. So yeah, all I could think was like, man, it's it's the LA of Australia. Obviously, once you get you know t- more towards Whoppers Way and uh, the city, it's a bit greener. Mm. But um, yeah, it's an interesting place. Really lovely scenery as well. If you go north or you go south, yeah, some of the most stunning places I've been to. But it's good. Yeah, I think that's one of the assets of WA. There's a lot of well, I think Australia going part time. You know, visiting Queensland a little bit and New South Wales. I think we're, we live in a country that's so fortunate in a lot of its uh, landscape. Well, yes, some of it has been altercated and, you know, harvested, mm. but some hasn't. Well, most of it hasn't, and some is protected. And I think we're very lucky. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, it is, you're right. It's so, like, untouched. If you go north, it's just desert. I think, as well, the thing about Perth is, like, you have to leave Perth to find the really lovely places. Although Fremantle is mm. stunning. Probably one of my favourite places ever, actually. I remember going there the first couple of times and just being like, I can't believe this exists. It's just like a beautiful little coastal town. All the buildings are like very old and Victorian. Yeah. You know, it's just really, really quaint. Yeah, so lovely little area. Yeah, so yeah, I don't know. I think Perth surprised me a little bit in that way. Because I'm used to... I mean, Brisbane's really lovely because you've, you've got the Sunshine Coast and the Gold Coast. Yes. And that's the interesting thing about Brisbane because there's really no break in infrastructure between Brisbane, the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast. So it's actually these three cities that are essentially all just linked and that are just one big thing. Right. So Brisbane, although the population I think is only like two and a half million or something like that, maybe getting on three, if you really add it up between Sunshine Coast and Gold Coast and you integrate that whole spread, it's actually rivaling places like Sydney and Melbourne, like in terms of population. So I think a lot of people underestimate how big Brisbane is, Mm. but it's actually really big. Like it definitely feels like a much, much bigger town than Perth, like by far. And I think a lot of people equate Brisbane to being like the East Coast Perth, but it's not. Sorry, sorry, Perthians. Sorry, sorry to burst the bubble, but um, yeah. And so you can go up to the Sunshine Coast, which is really, really lovely and like little coastal village towns and Noosa is just the best place ever. Like I really can't stress that enough. It's, it's the best place in Australia, like hands down. And you get, it's really weird. You get people like, I saw photos of like Anna Kendrick. In Noosa, <laughs> apparently Beyonce's been there as well. Oh, okay, like it's genuinely a really, really top-notch, top-notch area. And the Gold Coast is nice as well. It's just a bit more kind of, I guess, commercialized. You know, they've got the big yeah. skyscrapers and casinos and stuff down there. So we kind of look down on the Gold Coast a little bit, literally and figuratively. <laughs> well, I remember well last time I've been to the Gold Coast, I was like a kid, and oh, we're going to movie world. You know, did the, yeah. the whole theme park um, circuit. Oh, the theme parks! <laughs> I miss them so much. <laughs> But it's really interesting. That just reminded me. I remember on um, this episode of Q and A that Barry Humphreys appeared on. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's really weird. I think in two thousand twelve. Also, Jackie Weaver was on it. Um, David Marr. A lot of it was a really interesting panel, and they were talking. And they're on the subject. I think it was a time when they had, you know, Gina Reinhart. The whole yeah. sort of 
I think it was the starting of the lawsuit of the family trust and the courts. Anyway, you know, starting to erupt, I think, during that time. And, you know, Barry Humphreys, you know, just brilliant. He was, you know, banging on about, you know, Gina Reinhardt. But then he says, David Ma was correcting him because I think, in a way, Barry Humphreys was slagging off. I'm not sure if it was like Queensland or WA. And then he says this line, Well, Queensland is the WA of the North. <laughs> and that just, I don't know. It's, Queensland's the WA of the North. north. In, in terms of East Coast. Cause yeah, yeah. I, look, I think, yeah, out of the East Coast, Queensland is the most WA out of the, out of the East Coast for sure. But I think I think Southeast Queensland is really quite modern and quite nice. I think the rest mm-hmm. of Queensland is quite is very old school. And I I lived in I actually lived in a small country town in the middle of Queensland for almost two years. Right. Yeah, because my dad's in the um the mining industry, and oh. there's a big mine out there that um the person who was running it I think I don't know got fired or left or something like that. So they needed somebody to take over running of the mine um, on a day to day basis while they found someone permanent to take over. So dad. Uh, had Trevor um, had already been quite he already knew a lot about the mine so they just got him in and instead of him like flying over to Biloela which was the town constantly we were just like right, we'll just pack up and move so we yeah we just moved to Biloela and lived there for a couple of years so that yeah that place is very like country mm-hmm. you know you could really you really could compare it to a lot of WA quite a way Southeast, Southeast Queensland, because it's right near the border as well. Like I can drive for less than an hour and I can be in New South Wales, which is quite an interesting feeling. And you don't really get that anywhere else in Australia. I don't think, oh, except for Canberra, I guess, you know, yeah. <laughs> you drive out of town and you're in another state, but yeah, just being able to drive South for a little while and you're in another state already. So like I went down to, I went to teach, uh, snowboarding down in Perisher for a season in 2015 and I remember I had to go get like my working with children check, but for New South Wales, and you're not allowed to do it online. So I just had to pop south of the border, go find like a New South Wales driving centre or whatever like that who could validate me. And yeah, you just you just pop down, you know, yeah. just pop into New South Wales, pick up some milk, you know. <laughs> That's crazy. Like in WA, you judge, you just keep driving down when you reach yeah. <laughs> still in WA. You're still in WA. Go all the way, Kalgoorlie, WA, mm-hmm. where I've been to recently. Now I've written this on on my little. So for the boys and girls who's playing our game, I've written a question here. Now I'm reading it, I'm looking at it, and I don't think I've written it. It's not properly phrased, <laughs> but it's in regards to because, as I said in my little introduction for Marshall, I sort of cobbled up the the term promotional architect. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. That's a lovely term. Well, thank you. I'm going to put that in my resume. Just for, in your biography, yeah. when you call up, just a little note for Ryan Marano, <laughs> <laughs> because. See, I know, because me and Marshall, will, I know like last year we've been talking about how the course, the BPA course, you know, it really, there's a lot of variety in it and you yeah. can, um, there's a lot of potential for this promotional uh, route, but Marshall, um, like he, another example of his work, he's promoting, he created a lot of wonderful promotional material for Blueprint, which is, which is now showing at the Blue Room Theatre. But when this episode goes to, when it gets published, I think it would have just finished, technically speaking. Yeah. So Blueprint. So you'd be reading the reviews. Listen to this podcast as you read the <laughs> reviews for Blueprint. So like taking pictures. He took these wonderful um, stills, pictures, a, a lot of video, like trailer, well, yeah, vignette thingies. Yeah, little like interview style things, yeah. And talking about Jack of Arts as well, because... It's also quite cool. You should look at the Jack of Arts and you get to see a lot of cool pictures of the awesome parties that Jack of Arts puts on. <laughs> the cover photos are nude of the Jack of Arts yes. team <laughs> this year, which we're really quite proud of. So go check that out. Give it a like. And because I was looking at, I formed this question because I was looking at the pictures of your recent party. You had this cool, <coughs> rebellious, I'm trying to, it wasn't a grunge. No, that wasn't grunge. The theme of the party? Yeah. Well, yeah, it was um, pop punk fantasy. Right. Yeah, so lots of eyeliner, dark clothes. So I'm going to say this, these, this sentence, and see, Marshall, if you make any sense Sure, of this. let's give it a go. Okay. Where do you sit on the fence when it comes to taking a picture to capture the moment? Or live the moment and instead take a memory? Oh, I'm very much live the moment, take a, take a memory. Yeah? 100%, yeah, which I think a lot of people find really interesting because I am so 
in yeah. photography and stuff. But yeah, I hate um, I hate going places and just taking photos for the sake of taking photos. Like I'm lucky enough, I'm about to go to America for my stepsister's wedding, so I'm going to be in Denver um, and heading up into the Rocky Mountains there, which is going to be lovely. And obviously, I'm taking my camera because it's such a beautiful yeah, yeah, place yeah. of the world. But I'm not taking the camera to just like take touristy snapshots to take home and then like make a cheesy album of and you know send all my friends that's something my dad does and like I really love it it's very cute but I'm also it's just not me at all so like I'll take photos if there's something that's really picturesque and I actually want to make you know an actual work of art out of it I guess you know like capture the the picturesque nature of where I am but yeah if people are going on holidays and stuff I just I just hate getting photos hmm. I'd just rather be there and experience it and then be able to um and then be able to just remember it, you know, how I want to remember it. And and it's the same with, like, you know, people going to concerts these days. I don't get why people get out their phones and just film it. Yeah. Like, I just don't get that. Because, like, first of all, it's going to be shitty quality. Like, your iPhone is not going to capture what the feeling of being at that concert is, you know. Um, also, it just gets in the way. And, and it's just like, why wouldn't you just want to put your phone away and just kind of, like, vibe where you're at and feel it and be in this group of people who are all there to, you know, experience the one artist or the one band or whatever. Yeah, it just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I think it's that weird thing of, you know, coming into a digital age, everything's digital now. Elon Musk is doing all these things where he wants to like make brains like the ultimate machines and weird stuff like that. So yeah, I just, yeah, I'm (laughs) long form answer to the question. I'm yeah, much more on, I'd rather just live in where I'm at what I'm doing and then just be able to take that as a memory with me. That's yeah. that, that that's I'm I'm very happy to hear that because I'm likewise. Yeah. I think it's so like I get a bit iffy when it comes to like recording video. Mm. Um but I do like I I don't know. Like I think cuz I'm afraid obviously if you take a picture right obviously and if you live with your memory I know it's not going to be a, a, as good as a memory detailed memory as if you took a photo. Mm. But that's kind of part of the, the yeah. fun of it, you know? I feel like you could maybe hype up a memory in your head to be like, wow, that was such an amazing day, yeah. like such cool things happened. And then you look at a video of that day or take a, or look at a photo you took and it might even just ruin that and you might be like, oh, it actually wasn't that great, you know? Like, I'd just rather take the feeling for what it was, you know? Remember the important stuff. I have terrible memory, as many people around me know. So I think, yeah, I think I very specifically remember the really good stuff. Um, and then everything else can just kind of fade away. Mm. Now, this is, this is, um, I'm, oh my God, I'm, I'm bloody having an erection for one of my questions that I'm about to ask. <laughs> oh God, is that good? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Marshall and many other bright young things took an adaptation of Alpha Ben's mm. <laughs> The Rover to this year's Perth Fringe Festival at the Vic Park Hotel, where it was met with some great appraise. Now... I've got a lot of questions about this because, and, and yes, like many things, Ryan did not see this show <laughs> and he's kicking himself. Why did you take the Rover to the festival? Oh, look, that show. <laughs> it's, it's, look, it's a weird one. Um, I, th- I think, so Afro Ben's The Rover was a text that we all in the performance making course study in first year with um, Rachel Romano. And I remember reading it for homework and I was just really taken at how modern a lot of the things that were happening in there. Like yeah. it, it just reminded me of teenagers at a party. And I thought that's, that's a really interesting way to take this, um, this piece. So for anybody who doesn't know, the original is basically a bunch of men and women at a carnival. It's spread over a couple of days. It's this big festival and it's all them going around and like sleeping with each other behind each other's back and love and romance and cheating and just dumb, dumb shit, to be honest. So I, yeah, I really thought like, man, this could be like, this, this is so relatable as mm. a modern thing. And coming from Shake and Stir, Shake and Stir is very well known for doing modern adaptations of, you know, Shakespeare and classical texts. And like all their big main stage shows are almost always classical reimaginings. Mm. So, you know, they're doing Dracula right now, which is Bram Stoker's. They did Animal Farm and um, mm. Wuthering Heights, 1984. And they just kind of like bring these wonderful old classic texts to a modern audience who really get to appreciate it more than they would, I think, than just like reading it. So that's kind of the angle that I came from there. And yeah, it, it, was, it was a real struggle of a, a piece to get together, to be honest, because it's a huge cast. 
Um, I think, you know, I hadn't done fringe before, so I, I think I very much overestimated the ease mm. that would be in terms of like getting a cast and getting everything together and venues and everything like that. Like it was, it was really quite a struggle. And luckily I had, um, the wonderful Tamara Creasy, who mm. obviously I go to university with in my year in the course. And so, yeah, we punched through it together. We worked with a bunch of kids from the, um, well not kids, young adults from, <laughs> yeah, geez, where sounded really belittling. A bunch of young adults from the, the Actors Hub, uh, school here in oh, yes, yes. Perth. Yeah, yeah. So they were great. Um, they helped us along. And yeah, it was a great experience. And I think, I think at the end of the day, for us, it was more an experience in putting together a full scale show yeah. completely independently than it was making a product that was something we were really, really, really happy with. So the original intention of it was to really highlight some of the, the gender stereotypes and the gender challenges that occurred in the script because we found them really interesting, especially because Afro Ben was, you know, one of the first female playwrights in that year in the 16th century, I believe. Like she had to publish this play under a male pseudonym to even get it looked at, which is interesting itself. So we wanted to, we wanted to investigate that and we like, we gender swapped all the characters to see how that would play around with. So we did this whole big adaptation, but once we actually got into the room and we actually got rehearsing and everything, it just became so much more about how do we actually get this up mm. rather than how do we highlight these topics and all that kind of stuff. So I think if you go in there and you really look for them, you can, you could have definitely found a lot of that sort of stuff. But yeah, I think it was just, it, it was a wonderful experience in terms of getting a show up, but it was a little bit lackluster in my opinion, in terms of our original intentions and themes that we wanted to approach. But in saying that, you know, it got, um, it got some good reviews. Yeah. People seemed to really enjoy it. Got a pretty sold out audience and we donated like all of our profit, which I think was an odd $3,000 to charity to a woman's um, refuge uh, in Perth Zanta, Zonta House I think man it was a while ago but yeah Zonta House I believe it was so so you know good thing good things it really was, came of it yeah, yeah and I was quite amazed like because uh, yeah, you, you did make that um, which was great I, I love this particular example of a show The Raver yeah, yeah The Raver The Raver was its adapted name and I loved it how in a way you it was a great learning experience. Mm. The audience loved it, mm. as far as I'm aware and concerned. It got good reviews, and you 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 gave you literally gave back to the community. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, well, like, like when I look back on it, it was yeah, it was quite successful, really, especially for a first time. Yeah. At Fringe, we we definitely bit off more than we could chew, but you know we did what we could with it. And luckily, the venue that we got as well, we thought it's it's a little bit out of town. Yeah. So we thought it was going to be a... It was the... Um, oh, Lord, I've forgotten where we did it. No, the, the Victoria Park yeah, Hotel. Yeah, that's right. You're on it. Victoria Park Hotel. We thought it would be a bit of a curse because it's a little bit way out of town, but the guys there were like lovely and allowing us to do pretty much whatever we wanted. We could cover the lights on the ceiling with um, with coloured gels. All right. So we just used the, the, the actual just ceiling lights as, yeah. as lighting for the show. Um, we kind of... And, and again, it, it, I think it's a bit of a style of mine that... I try and turn problems into creative choices. So there was this whole thing of like, how do we set up the stage and everything like that? And I just made it a thing at the start where like you have the opening scene, which is at the house of two of the characters before they actually go to the party. And then the rest of the play is at this party in various rooms in this fictional house. And so, yeah, the first scene is just bare bones. And then there's this kind of like little musical interlude where we play like, we played a lot of really heavy rave songs in this. Yeah piece which was really fun um where the rest of the cast which was like 15 of them it was huge they all just ran onto stage and just kind of madly set up all this random party shit you know as people would do for a party and just kind of like added to the mood and set it up and it was just really quick and fun like that yeah so that's the kind of stuff i think i really enjoy when people turn problems into creative choices you know and that they kind of just appreciate that every single thing you do and you put on stage can be beneficial rather than just being like, oh, this isn't working, but we're just going to do it anyway. Like, even if something's not working, I think it's important to work out, okay, how can we make it work for us? You know, even if you mm. can't change it, make it work for you, rather than just accepting it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, um, but that, I just met a port because, obviously, I met Marsha before he, I didn't just instantaneously <laughs> transported myself met, in this space. ten minutes ago. We ten minutes ago. We didn't each other um... And Marshall was talking about his um, uh, solo, 
Um, they it was a part of a it's part of the the it's, it's part of the solo stage at Wapa and it was um, it was the second year performing arts students um, starting their stuff. Basically, they composed a seven minute um, solo performance inspired by moments of being. Moments of being. Yeah, which is the Virginia Woolf book. I yes. Think. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the Virginia Woolf book, Moments of Being, which is some really lovely quotes in there. Um, and and it's wonderful you you bring about problems and using it as like a creative potential. Do, yeah, do you think there's a type of I don't know like there's when you when you're creating devising in the case of devising or even readapting there is that sort of when you're an artist mm. there are times where you do go into this sort of I don't know this very natural gut feeling state where you're like a predator you you really become an animal. Mm. I know it's because you know obviously artists stereotypically get can be portrayed as oh you know overthinkers especially Western artists as mm. thinkers and talkers and gabblers and and you know blah 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 and and lots of writing I don't know did have you come a, I don't know do I make sense Yeah no absolutely I get what you're meaning 100 percent Yeah I actually read a little allegory on like Facebook on one of those she motivational pages I didn't subscribe to that I'm pretty <laughs> sure I think it just popped up because somebody else liked it but it's a great little story where it's like um. You know, a, a pottery teacher splits his class in two one day and goes, okay, for the next assessment, both halves of the class are going to be doing two different things. This half of the class, you're going to be marked on the amount of pots you can make in 48 hours. The other half of the class, you're going to be marked on the quality of a single pot. So your one half is going for quantity, the other half is going for quality. Um, comes back in 48 hours, and what he finds is that uh, the, the half of the class that we're going for quantity actually ended up with far, far better pots. And it's just simply because they were just churning them out over and over and they were just getting there and making them. By the act of doing that, they just obviously improve. They yeah. just get better every time because they're getting better at it. Whereas the um, the half of class who were trying to make the best pot possible pretty much sat down and talked and wrote down and tried to design this yeah. pot for you know 40 hours and then they spent a short amount of time actually getting up and, and making the pot. And obviously because of that, they didn't really have much time to practice or refine or anything like that. So it didn't really turn out too well. And I think it's a really great allegory. I probably posted yeah. to like our performing arts Facebook page because I think it's a great allegory it in is. terms of like, just get up and do it. And then you can work from that. You don't have to pre-plan. And I think that's, I think that's what I, what I saw. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting if other people in my class are listening to this, but that's honestly, honestly, that's what I saw. I think what a lot of people in the class did yeah. this year. And, I, and I'm sure this is what a lot of people do full stop in the arts industry. People try and, envision the final product before they even get up and start doing anything mm, um yeah and that's something i'm really guilty of actually i used i used to do that a lot and i always i think i still do always have a bit of an idea of what i want it to look like at the end of the day but especially with the solo i really consciously tried to just not think about what i wanted to end up being and that's why i think i didn't pick a theme or i didn't pick yeah. a uh, a meaning or something that I wanted to get across. I just had an idea for this. For anybody who saw it, it was about a man in an elevator and he has a light box and he presses buttons and then everything go goes a bit wacky and weird. And it was a movement piece. The light box that I had above me was the, the starting point. And then I just kind of went, great, I want that. And I'm just going to build everything else around that, you know? And that was just a lot of me kind of getting up and brainstorming and experimenting with things instead of thinking, okay, I want this to be a piece about a man who is investigating the meaning of life, you know? It just, instead, it just kind of ended up that way, you know? Yeah. And I, I was saying to Ryan before we started um, recording that I didn't really realise what the piece was about until my teacher slash director, Sam Chester, said that to me. She goes, it's a great piece. It's about this, this, this. And I went, great, sure. I guess that's what it's about. And then you just kind of build off it that way. Yeah, so it ended up being, um, it was good. Yeah, so yeah, Solos was a... Was an it was a very new process for me. And of course, being by yourself, you don't have anyone to, um, you don't have anyone to bounce off of. So it's mm. a really weird process where I actually didn't feel very excited about it at all. I, didn't, I wasn't excited to be making the piece because nobody was there telling me like, yeah, great, this is really fun. Like, this is really cool. It was just kind of me, myself and I just sitting down and making something that I thought, I was like, I think this is good. And so I didn't, I didn't know how good it was until I think our first work in progress. And even after that, I wasn't really that sure because people, people actually said to me in the, in the creative process, we had like little groups that we um, worked on with each other. And I remember somebody said to me once um, in this process, they said, 
Marshall, I feel like you're just doing this because you just like doing that sort of movement style and you just think you're good at it and you just want to show it off. And it was really blunt and it really got me down. I was like, oh lord, like, shit am I? But then, I mean, honestly, after that, I was kind of like, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, uh, I'm, I think I have the philosophy of like, it's all about the work and the process only matters if you end up with an end result that you're happy with or that you're good at. You know, you can have the best process in the world, but if you end up with a rubbish piece of theatre or whatever you're making, doesn't matter. doesn't matter how good the process was. Nobody's going to give shit. People only care about what you actually put up, you know? So it's kind of like, do whatever you can to get that end result, however you want to get that up. Um, obviously, you know, don't hurt other people. I don't know, it sounded really like, do whatever you can to make this happen. But, um, you know, just, yeah, it, it's about the work, you know? It's about what you put up at the end of the day. That's why we. That's why we do this. It's not about how we feel in the process. You know, that's something that you need to look at and be conscious of, because otherwise you might go crazy. But at the end of the day, it's all about yeah. It's all about what we're putting up, mm. not how we're making it. In my opinion, anyway, I think. And you know, there is there are some exceptions. I think sometimes the the art itself can be the process where it's like maybe a community driven thing where lots of people are involved in the process and that's kind of like the art in itself. But I think, yeah, for something like solos especially, nobody nobody in the room coming to see those solos wants to know how you got to that point. They just want to see what you've made. Absolutely. Just something random. I was watching yesterday, Stephen Fry, because I love Stephen Fry. Yeah. He was doing this uh, interview because his novel, The Hippopotamus, has just recently had a film adaptation done yeah. and he was speaking to this um, this film critic oh, Kevin oh, I can't remember it's Commode or something so, this really um, famous British film critic and Stephen Fry was talking about how theatre I suppose in, in, in the context of plays where theatre it's a lot of uh, talking and in the sense what is trying to he was making comparison between theatre and film mm. and he's saying like how in theatre, oh, for example, the best hero in theatre is Hamlet because mm. he talks, he, he talks about his problems, he talks and, you know, his fights and he, it, it's quite, and it's a large role. You've got a lot of speeches and monologues. That's like the, the, the great hero. But in terms of film, the great hero of film is Lassie because, um, Lassie the dog, if mm. it's an old film, Lassie because... <laughs> Lassie acts. Lassie does. If someone's going to fall off the cliff, Lassie acts and grabs and saves. Do you you understand? Yes. And and like film is literally showing and like theatre, it's talking. That's really interesting. Hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to meditate on that. I actually quickly need to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, go go for it. Go go for it. I'm not going to stop recording. I'm just going to edit. And we're back. Yeah, great. So yeah, the whole thing about um, film being doing and theatre being talking. Yeah. That's interesting. I thought about it while I was peeing. I think it's an interesting one because I think it's, uh, I think we're getting to an age where film and theatre are in some ways trying to merge Mm. in a way, I guess. Because theatre is becoming, in a lot of ways, a lot more, um, like big budget theatre is becoming very cinematic. Mm. You know, lots of effects, lots of atmosphere where you could pretty much put a camera on the stage and film everything that was happening and it would look like a film, you know? It's kind of like a watchable film set in a Mm. way, which is really interesting. But I think some of the most exciting stuff are the the crossovers where that happens. Like, I love theatre where it's just things happening, you know? And I'm I'm a really big fan of movement theatre and dance theatre. Uh, you know, uh, what is it, Pina Bausch? Yeah, Townsend um, Theatre. Yeah, Townsend Theatre. She, she has a film called Pina, which yeah. was a documentary about hers, which actually, weirdly enough, she passed away a couple of days before they started filming. So then the film became like this big, wonderful tribute to her. And the way they filmed the dance pieces and that are just phenomenal. And if anybody has any interest at all in like just beautiful movement and theatre, definitely check out Pina. It's, it's wonderful and it's loud and it's bold and it's aggressive and it's just stunning. So I love that kind of stuff. And yeah, movement theatre as well. It's just more doing and talking. And it's interesting, yeah, you bring up the whole thing of like, you know, Hamlet is the kind of the ultimate theatre role because I never really would have considered that. But I guess, yeah, I don't know. I wonder, I mean, I guess that's where theatre and film distinctions have come from in a way. Mm. But I feel like, I, yeah, I think some of the most exciting stuff is probably the stuff that isn't doing that, you know? Mm. My, my housemate went and saw 
uh, the production of Endgame. Oh, yes, I saw that too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm afraid, in case anyone's listening, but like her opinions weren't too strong on it because she just found it was a lot of talking and it was it was just a bit... It was for her, it was a bit flat. And she's, she's a dancer, so mm. she's, again, quite into movement and things just happening, whereas... The, the kind of the whole point of Endgame is that nothing happens. And can I quickly jump? Yeah, sure. Oh, I remember I... Look, I'm, I'm not going to say anything, but I don't know. See, the reason why... I, I'm really actually... Uh, uh, the key word for me is uh, frustrated with that production. Yeah, right. Because you had every single team member, creative actor, yeah. was brilliant. Yeah. And I had the great fortune um, of receiving lectures from some of these people. Who, who know the craft very well. But going to watch Endgame, like I, I, I did a high school production of Endgame at oh, Ellenbrook wow. Secondary College. That's and a... I did, I did, I, I played Ham. Oh, good. The, the main fellow. That's a really bold production to do yeah. for high school. My God. It, and it was really good, actually. Really? <laughs> but, but, but the thing what I learned, because I remember, you know, because I, I still remember some of the lines. And, and, I, and, I, and I was, a couple of things. I was sitting back and I'm thinking, hang on, there's meant to be a pause here. Beckett, I remember in Endgame, there's a lot of deliberate pauses that, because in the program notes in, in, in Endgame, they did note it about silence. Yeah. I think that's a major, that's a character within the play of Endgame, silence. And when you watch this production, production is just dialogue. Yeah, there's a lot of dialogue. It's bang, 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 bang. And you take that, but there wasn't much time to sort of enjoy the silence of how the silence for them is actually death. It's quiet. Mm. It, from, from my opinion. But also, second problem, <laughs> when I was collecting my ticket at the box office, yeah. I remember when I did Endgame, because we, we had a little black box theatre, mm. and Endgame, it's a really intimate piece, I think, because you don't have any intermission, it's just 70 minutes, basically, and it's really intimate, and you have only really four characters in, in the play, mm. you know, and it's really about talking and dialogue and, you know, little moments, you anyway, so I thought it was going to be performed at the Studio Underground. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's nice and dark and black, and I thought, oh, perfect. Endgame yeah. is dark, mysterious, silence is death, you know, and what have you. And then I got my ticket, and I said, um, you know, oh, thank you very much. And I said, oh, so um, is downstairs open? And the lady goes, no, 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 downstairs. What, what's wrong about? I said, you know, downstairs to watch Endgame. He said, no, 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 upstairs. Upstairs is open. It's at the Heath Ledger um, Theatre. I thought, really? At the Heath Ledger? They're doing Endgame at the Heath Ledger Theatre. You know, it's it's... With, where that is a quite a large, bright space. You know, the interior of the theatre yeah. is all bright and wooden and you've got all these golden, bright colours okay, and golden yeah. and oaky. So I thought, <coughs> okay, that's rather strange. And they said, oh, we're, we're closing up the dress circle up top. It's only the stalls. Like, all right. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> all right. You're trying. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It's, yeah, and I went there and I thought, oh, I just felt like the space wasn't right. There needed to be, because I felt, that just a general, like, I'm, I'm a really young guy and I don't know what I'm talking about, but <laughs> I know, sometimes I do, I have a gut feeling. I really felt that, I just wish we got to, I don't know, hear the silence. Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually one thing that you just said there, like, where you're young and you don't know or whatever, I think that's, like, a weird thing that people say where, you know, like, yeah, sure, we're, we're young and we're inexperienced and we're very new to the industry, but I think that kind of what's made that's what makes us exciting people. Mm. You know, because I think if we're just trying to emulate what people have been doing and looking... And I think it's so important to look at, you know, the people who are practitioners today and oh, yes. look at what they're doing and be like, okay, cool, what are they doing? That's great. But I think it's so important to also look at what they're doing and go, okay, what don't I like about that? You know, can I change this in productions, you know? And just be non-apologetic about those opinions and, um, you know, opinions are valid. And I think, you know, we're going to be the future of theatre... So and, and mm. performing arts and stuff, you know, everybody in our generation who's at Whopper and NIDA and VCA, whatever, you know. So I think it's I think it's completely legitimate to just go with your gut instinct, yeah, and be like, you know, if yeah, like you said, you wanted the silences in there. Yep, <laughs> there you go. You wanted the silences in there. Which I, I, think just, I think I was I keep bringing that up because I was reading a recent review because I was just curious, you know, what else, what other people thought. Yeah. And I think there was some, yeah, mixed. It's usually, it was usually, you know, three out of five stars. I think I saw one for two. Really? Yeah, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll read that one. And yeah, they said, yeah, I think this is from a reviewer, not my words, but the reviewer paraphrasing, obviously, because I have a shitty memory. <laughs> I think they were 
because it was quite a fast pace. The delivery of dialogue was quite fast paced. Mm. And I think, because when you do Endgame, it is a scary production because there's so much language in it. And it is a bit of a boring piece, to be honest. Endgame. It is, yeah. Anyway. It's kind of a piece I think you have to go in knowing yeah. what it is. And you have to be like, look, the whole point is it is very monotonous and very boring, but that's kind of like what the point of it is, you know? It's, it's not exactly like a... And I was saying this to my housemate, it's not exactly a piece that I would ever recommend the consumer public going yeah. to. And um, my housemate was saying she was sitting next to a guy at the start, before the show started, was just talking to his, his, his partner, saying, you know, very kind of a, lot of... a lot of questions that are very typical of somebody who doesn't go to the theatre often, you know. Um, oh, I, can't, I can't actually remember what she said he said, but like... And she just knew, she was like, he's not going to enjoy the show. <laughs> like, he is not ready for what he's about to see. Yeah. So, yeah, it's an interesting one that they, they decided to stage there as such a main yeah. big show. Especially considering that, um, you know, obviously the State Theatre Centre's crowd, more than any other theatre in Perth, is very mainstream mm. audiences who aren't theatre practitioners, who aren't, you know, theatre people. Yeah. So it's an interesting choice, you know? Interesting one. We'll see what the, um, what the outcome of it is, you know? So. I think... I think uh, Oh, this won't insult anyone, but if it does, I, I, I'm sorry in advance. So as soon as I w- finished the show, yeah. left, and God, it took forever to leave. Because it's I know, cause I only opened the two doors, so I'm like huddled in the masses, and there's this two <coughs> elderly lady right in front of me. And I was just overhearing them. And, they, <coughs> and this lady goes to this other lady, she says, I'm sure whatever it was, on a, whatever they did, it was brilliant. Amazing. Amazing. I was like... Whatever they did, whatever that was... No, she said, yeah, whatever that was, I'm sure they did a fabulous job. Or words to those of them. Yeah, interesting. Whatever they did, but I'm thinking, hang on a second. Uh, Anyway. Yeah, but that's so interesting that, like, the public is so kind of numb to that in the way that they'll just be like, you know, I didn't understand it because it's theatre and it's probably above me, you know, that kind of thing. Where it's like, no, the whole point of theatre is that it it should be able to be understood and appeal to everybody. If it wasn't appealing to you and you weren't understanding it, then... Don't apologise and make that your problem. Like, it's their problem, you know? I mean, obviously, if you fell asleep or something like that, that is your problem. But, oh, well, actually, no. I don't know. Maybe if you're really tired. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to make all these exceptions to this rule that I yeah. just, like, pulled out of my ass. But, yeah, I think I, th- I think we need to put more responsibility on, um, on makers, you know, to actually really pull people to a high standard, you know? Don't, don't ever be like, oh, look, they tried. Or, like, for what they were trying to do, it was really good. It's like doesn't matter like if if it's not if you don't go in there and you don't have a good time then you didn't have a good time full stop you can't then try and justify that or you know make it easier it's just you know because the the whole point of theater is you know it's 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 about human emotion so i think if you're denying your human emotion of being bored or not enjoying something then you're kind of defeating the whole purpose of theater you know yeah yeah why do you watch it why do i watch theater yeah look weirdly enough i don't even watch that much theater Mm. like yeah, I've never, I've never, I've always been so into creating film and creating theatre and, you know, being creative, yeah. but I've never actually been a huge fan of going to watch anything. Yeah. I'm just never motivated. Like, I'm never that excited. Very few pieces ever get me excited to go see. Because yeah. usually I can kind of, I think, I think in my head, I just kind of go, I feel like I know what this is going to be, you know? And like, I was considering seeing Endgame, but like, to be honest, I'm kind of glad I didn't because I just don't think I would have of it that much but then in the same hand maybe I should have gone to see it to see what they did that mm. wasn't working and then think about that and reflect on that um, and you know that's how you grow as a practitioner and so I feel like I'm probably depriving myself of a lot of knowledge unfortunately by not being motivated to go see theatre but um, you know it's it's just me I save my money <laughs> I, I go see what I want to see you know like I'm a huge fan of Cirque du Soleil huge All huge right. fan I love their work not even because of the circus stuff. I, I couldn't care less what tricks they're doing. Yeah. But in terms of the staging and the style and the aesthetic and the mood and the feeling, mm. I think they are, like, top level. Absolutely. Like, I saw... Um, I was lucky enough to be in Vegas a number of years ago, and I saw O, which is oh, one of their oldest, longest-running yeah. shows, and that was just phenomenal. Like, just mind-blowing. And it really influenced a lot of creativity in my end. Like, I actually used that piece and one of the characters in that piece who was, like, the MC clown kind of character. Yeah as an inspiration for my solo. All right. Um, just because I loved... I, I, I thought he was absolutely fantastic, but he didn't even speak. He just kind of, like, moved in this crazy way, and I just kept watching him. Like, people are doing flips behind yeah. him, and I'm like, I don't care. This <laughs> this guy, wow. 
and the music and the character and music again is another thing and music and silence is something that I think is so underutilized in theater I have a lot of opinions about that sort of stuff about what is and isn't used enough yeah that was a bit of a tangent no but look where look where we are now no we still <coughs> oh actually yeah no we still got a tiny bit of time left oh good oh god reading my writing what's <laughs> a um Marshall yeah <laughs> what's <laughs> a reco- recording What's a recurring attitude or quality or lesson that you've learnt in WA so far oh, and, and in your study? I don't know, is there like a piece of, I don't know, like advice or just like a sentence, I don't know, just that keeps sticking? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know, I've, I've actually become a lot more reflective and a lot more open emotionally since coming to Whopper and especially this mm. year as well. Um, I actually made it one of my like New Year's resolutions to just be a little bit more emotionally open because last year I found I was fairly closed off and that was impacting a lot of my performing work. I don't know. I, yeah, I, 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 I think the biggest thing that I've started to really think about and that's been working for me at least, and this isn't something uniquely that happened in WA to be honest, but it's something that's kind of been reinforced here, is just go with your passion, you know? Don't think about what other people want or what they're expecting just make what you make you know don't don't apologize for it don't don't freak out about like oh people gonna like this or whatever you know obviously you will but don't let it impact your piece as much you know that's always something that i think about and i I think some of the best work is when that happens you know when you see someone up on stage who is just unapologetically just them and you can tell that they're not trying to please anyone that's what's really, really exciting. You know, the pieces that I go and I see, and then I'm like, uh, whatever, are the pieces where you can tell that somebody's been thinking about the audience and been thinking like, oh man, I want to do something that they're going to really, really like, rather than what do you want to, what do you want to make that is then going to have an impact on the audience? And I think that's what holds a lot of people back as well, that the, the, the whole thing of like the audience. And I, I forgot who it was. I think it was like Fran or... Sam, some one of our teachers at um, uni once told us, I think, before Australian Horror Story at the end of last year, mm. that uh, 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 a famous actress before all of her shows used to stand on stage and give the finger to the empty audience and was, you know, fuck you, audience, kind of thing like yeah. that. And I don't go as far to, <laughs> to do that before every performance or anything I make, but I think, you know, theatre is a communication and a conversation and, well, a communication between performer slash performers and the recipients, the audience. That's what theatre is. That's what performance is. But I think people just, yeah, let it get to them too much in terms of what is the audience going to think. I think you've got to be aware of that and do that. But don't, I just don't think you should let it shape your piece to the extent that some people do. Some people kind of get up there. And, and Sam Chester, actually, yeah, Sam Chester, one of the biggest pieces of wisdom that stuck with me at the start of the solos process, we, we on the, like the first week, yeah. Sam just threw a curveball at us and was like, you have 20 minutes to make a two-minute solo go. And you just had to make a two-minute solo in 20 minutes and then we all performed them. And I got up. And beginning from the solo process, process, I had quite a strongish idea of what I wanted to do at that point because I've been milling it over over the Christmas holidays. Um, <laughs> I, I had, like, you know, been working. I, I had a pl- what I did was I had a plan B. I was like, yeah. this is a plan B. This is something I'm interested in. If nothing else jumps out at me and takes my fancy, that's what I'm going with. So we got to this first week. And I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to go with my plan B for this. And I did it. It was a very, very loose interpretation of the whole beep, 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 where I was making the sounds with the mouth. And yeah, it was yeah. really silly. And then Sam Chester gave us the option for feedback. There were like three options where like you could get the class to write words on sticky notes and then you keep the sticky notes. You could get them to give you direct feedback or you could do a thing called gossip circle where the circle essentially pretends that you're not there and talks about you as if you're not there, but you're still listening. Oh, God. Listening outside, so I don't know, it sounds terrifying, yeah. but I, I was like, fuck me up with the gossip circle, please. <laughs> yeah. Like, I want some really honest feedback. And it was really interesting to hear what some people were saying. And Sam Chester said, I remember at the start, she was just like, wow, didn't expect that out of Marshall. And I went, what? Like, what, what does that mean? So I, I approached her after class and I was like, hey, Sam, look, I just want some clarification so I know what you meant <laughs> by that. Because I'm really curious that um, you didn't expect that out of me. And I think, I think she just didn't expect something out of me that was so, like just raw and unrehearsed and kind of weird and kooky because it really was. Yeah. And and she said to me, she said this thing to me that's always really resonated with me. And if actually, if I'm going to answer this question, this might be it. Yeah. She said, don't make things so people like you. And and that really hit me because I was like, 
have I been doing that? You know, have I been making theater because I want it to be cool and I want people to like me and be like, wow, Marshall, you made such a cool thing. We like you. Um, and I really thought about that. And I think that made such a huge impact on my solos process because I wasn't thinking about like, is this cool or not? I was literally just going with what I, I thought was interesting and what I thought was unique and what I thought was, uh, had some meaning behind it. You know, that obviously grew throughout the performance, but through the, the, the devising process. And then ironically, it ended up being a, quite a good piece. And, and then people were like, Marshall, it was great. Good on you, you know? And so it kind of had the same impact. But yeah, I think, I think that really hit me. Don't make, I'm, I'm paraphrasing again, <clears throat> but it was something along the lines of, yeah, don't make theater or don't make things so that people like you. And she just said that to me straight to my face. And I was like, oh shit. Um, and then I went away and I really thought about that for a while. And yeah, I think that kind of goes back to what I was trying to say for these last five minutes, that so many people get caught up on trying to make something that the audience is going to like and thinking about what they want too much. And it's like the audience is going to like what they like and what, what they want. There's so many different people in the audience. They're all going to like different things. You've just kind of got to trust in yourself and put yourself up there and put your own interests up there. And if they like that or not, then, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, that sucks. <laughs> but you have nothing to apologize for because you've gone up and you've put something that, that is undoubtedly you. And I think even if it's a bad piece, if people can tell that you're up there unapolog unapologetically doing something mm. that is so you and so like unique, people are going to like it anyway. Because yeah. I think, I think people can feel that energy, you know? I think where a lot of theatre goes wrong is when people are trying to appeal to the audience, you know, and are trying to uh, make the audience feel a certain way, you know, and they think, I want the audience to feel like this. And then they'll base everything around trying to do that. And then that becomes really hard because if they then don't succeed, then it's a big flop and it's a disingenuine and it, it's just a bit, ah, mm. you know? And, that, and that's the thing, again, I'm, I'm not going to name names and I'm, I apologise to anyone in my class who's listening to this. But I did see quite a few people, in my opinion, in the solos process who, who seemed to think, I want the audience to feel this way. And they would just drive towards it so hard and that have that have like music that was really kind of like hat on hat, where it was like really emotional music. And, and Sam's always saying that, like, don't put hat on hat. Don't like force the audience yeah. to feel a certain way. Just make something and then the audience can feel what, however they want to feel about it. Honestly, this is this really poses a really interesting argument. Like, there's a lot of literature that does support these both arguments. Like, I think if you make stuff that you have a general curiosity, if you're coming, I think at the end of the day, it's really coming from a place of truth. Mm. I think that's why it works so well, and that's why the audience becomes interested because they 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 come in with their ticket and they're thinking, oh, you know. I'm watching a, for a, a play and I have to, you know, suspension of disbelief and, yeah. you know, I, I know there's not going to be anything magical and I'm just going for the sake of, I don't know, taking out the boyfriend or girlfriend and, I don't know, many other reasons. Mm. But when they come and they see a performance and it's actually, hang on, I actually do believe, I don't have to suspend my disbelief, I actually do believe that you're a madman trying to kill me. Yeah. Or, or something for that example. And then it's that, I think that surprise factor but if you are, but if you are sort of, I don't want to say, but if you are, if you are taking into particular consideration the audience's feeling, mm. then I can understand where you're, okay, you're, you're trying to, you're not trying to be selfish in a way, not saying that the other, the other reason is, mm. but you're also trying to say, okay, an audience, I'm trying to be contemporary because I think that's in the way of satire and political and you can go to something contemporary. Mm. Now, this is what people are reading at the moment. They'll find that funny, you know? Yeah. So, that's, uh, in a way, that's coming from a place of truth. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, you're right. You're completely right. It's that, it's that truth. So, like, yeah, you do need to definitely consider the audience, um, obviously, because, like I said, it's an exchange. Mm. So, you can't, just, you can't just be like, fuck you, audience, and yeah. just make something that, you know. Well, you could. But I, you could. Oh, yeah, you could. You can really do yeah. anything. We're saying all these like rules and kind of like things about like we think theatre should be this, but like theatre can be anything. You can go up yeah. and shit in a bucket on stage, and like that that can be theatre. Um, God knows, people have probably done that too. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think it's that truth, and I think that's again, and that's something that you know you get taught so much in acting. Um, when we have our acting classes, you know, go for the truth of it all, and that's <laughs> what actors do. They're really good at making it seem like it's truthful, yeah. you know, and that's what's appealing. So I think yeah, in the creative process, it's that thing where some people I think get caught up and it's not truthful because they're just trying to mold themselves to whatever the audience wants them to be mm. rather than making something themselves. And like take into consideration the audience and be like, okay, 
will this joke land or will this thing land because of the audience I'm presenting to? You know, if it's a younger audience, I should maybe go make this sort of reference or this sort of joke like that or do this sort of thing. Take that into account in terms of what you want to make. But yeah, it needs to come from a truthful place. It needs to come from a genuine place of you just putting something up there. That's that's really just you and what you want to make, you know. Yeah, truth. Go for truth. And on that note... Second to last question. Second to last question, okay. Can you see yourself telling older Marshall <laughs> to specialise in a given artistic practice or warn him about being an all-rounder? Oh, that's a good question. That's a really interesting one. The other, as you know, the reason why I mentioned that, because in intro, because, yeah, you, you, you've directed, you've acted, you've written. And that's what sort of the BPA course specialises. Yeah. You'd be a, a jack of all trades. Yeah. And I mean, that's why I love the course so much, because I get to do everything. And I, I love getting my hands in everything. Mm. I did that before I came here as well. Um, and I think that's why I was recommended to this course, because in my interview in the acting audition, I was telling them about how I'm doing all these things. So I think they were like, yep, you're a performance maker. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I think that's something I'm going to have to look at in mm. retrospect. I think right now it's working for me. Yeah. Because I get to, you know, I'm being employed right now by quite a number of people to do photography and film work for theatre. Like, I've, I've been continuously editing and taking photos for the last, like, week. And I've got another, some more stuff coming up this weekend. Two more shows that I'm doing. So that's working out for me. And I also get to write and direct. I think the thing I'm scared of is actually people bottlenecking me into something. Uh, yeah. So I'm worried that one of my acting teachers, Punchy, actually mm. said this. Uh, I'm paraphrasing and this is heard through somebody else but uh, somebody said to me that after my solo um, Punchy said man he's not going anywhere after Perth because he's just going to be snatched up to do tech stuff by everyone because my solo is quite tech heavy which I was like wow that's great but also like I don't want to get bottlenecked into that I don't want to be bottlenecked into being a tech guy and uh, I don't want to be bottlenecked into being a photo film guy Mm. I want to be able to just kind of like have those skills and be employable but I want people to remember that like at the end of the day I'm actually my own creative artist as well and that I do my own stuff as well. Uh, yeah, I think that's what I'm scared of, that people are going to... I'm going to get onto the the tech side or the technical side of everything because I have proficiency in that area. And they're going to forget that... Or I'm going to forget that I actually do know how to perform as well. You know, and I'm training to be a performer. Um, and I love performing. So that's, that's more what I'm scared of. And I really hope future Marshall <laughs> is able to keep performing and keep making work that he wants to make while also still helping other people realise their works, you know, and being able to work with people in that in that capacity as well. And so, to the last question. Here we go. This is Big Brother. Oh, yeah. Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Marshall, in the year 2027, when we meet yes, again... 10 years' time. Oof, God knows where. Who knows? Um, hopefully in a proper studio setting with people who's going to edit this and do all the promoting and all that instead of being a lone wolf. When you've got a world-renowned podcast (laughs) 10 years later. In the year 2027, Mm. Marshall, what would you like to plug? Oh, so like what what would I like to be doing at that point in time that I would want to plug? Okay. So I invited you back, you know, you've got a a play or an autobiography or... I'm trying to think. I keep saying that. I keep giving that example to people. What? What's another thing that uh, essays? Oh, a film. A film. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna be what? Thirty-one. Oh, getting on. Jeez. <laughs> life. Life is halfway over. I don't know. I. I would love. I would love to be in a studio in London or England. Oh yeah. No, actually, no, no. I lie. I want to be back in Australia. My intention is to go over to England work there, train there, because I think they have a wonderful, wonderful contemporary art scene there. Mm. Um, really great mixture of like classical and contemporary stuff, and I think the support they have for the arts there is huge. Like they treat theatre actors and theatre shows like films. They have, yeah. they have like posters on the trains there for theatre shows, just everywhere. Like it's such a big thing. And I think that's something Australia's lacking. So I really want to go there and I want to come back to Australia mm. and I want to try and help build Australia's art scene because it's rubbish right now compared to the rest of the world. You know, we're yeah. obviously very fortunate and, you know, we have a lot going on and I think Perth has a great scene. But in comparison to a lot of places, yeah. Australia's not very supportive of the arts industry, unfortunately. So I would love to be plugging, I don't know, maybe some big physical theatre dance show that I've helped <laughs> direct and devise and maybe I'm performing it as well at Sydney Theatre Company because I think oh, Sydney yeah. Theatre Company needs to do some more out their stuff rather than just bring back classic texts you know come on Sydney Theatre Company do something avant-garde yeah I think that'd be it doing doing something creative with a, a company 
company like that or uh, just a company that is getting some good exposure, you know, mm. that I'm actually making something that people, that impacts people, you yeah. know, that actually has some sort of significance in the world. Marshall, thank you very much for being no. on The Chronicles. Thank you for bringing me on. I hope I haven't. I run my mouth a bit. No, well, that's Exactly. I feel like I'm probably going to listen back and be like, fuck Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> probably offended like 10 people with that. I don't know. Nah. That, that's me. That's my insight. My opinions might change in a week's time. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye.